0: Good, good morning, and welcome to everybody. So if you're with us regularly, you won't be surprised to hear that we're back in Acts again today. And we're looking at Acts 15, which is more or less in the middle of the book. I hope that some of you have enjoyed reading through those first 15 chapters this week. I know some of you have. I've had a number of confessions as people have walked in this morning. Some people have got to 13, some to 11, some to 3. Anyway, so well done, those that you have read it, and... um, I'm sure you've enjoyed it. Do have a look again next week if you get a chance. It's really good just to immerse ourselves in this, in this, in this story of what God is doing. And I hope that you've, those of you who have looked at it, it's got a bit of a sense of the story of what is going on there. And in particular, I hope that you've noticed that this is a book about the supernatural action of God as he started to build his church. Now, I'm sure that most of you are aware that um, Acts is written by Luke, and it's Essentially, that carries on the story that he started in his gospel. But whereas in Luke, we see the story of what Jesus did while he was on the earth, in Acts, what we see is what he continued to do after he ascended, now working through the Holy Spirit. So in Luke, Jesus walked with the disciples. In Acts, the Holy Spirit lived in the believers. In Luke, Jesus acted alongside the disciples in the acts the Holy Spirit worked in, uh, in and through them. And this is going to be one of our main focuses this morning. So let's start by reading today's passage, which is um, Acts chapter 15 and the first 11 verses. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers... When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, and the apostles, and the elders. And they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers... You know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentile should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore... Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So this passage marks a crucial turning point in the story of Acts. Up till now, the center of gravity has been Jerusalem. Now, we've already seen the church starting to move beyond the bounds of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem church has remained the focal point. Even here in this passage, we see um, the Jerusalem church as being the place of authority. So Saul and Barnabas are sent by the church in Antioch down to Jerusalem to seek resolution to this dispute. And it's here in the Jerusalem church that we find Peter, the leader of the apostles. But here in chapter 15, halfway through the book book of Acts we say goodbye to Peter his crucial contribution to the debate in this passage is the last time that he appears in the story and with him we take our focus off of Jerusalem now our attention turns instead to Rome so we go from Jerusalem the capital city of God's chosen people the Jews and we turn now to Rome the center of the world of the Gentiles from here on the story follows Paul and his mission to the non-Jewish world so given that we're at this sort of pivotal moment in the story, my plan was to take the story so far and to summarize it for you. But as I was thinking and praying about it this week, I just felt that was too much of a distraction from um, what I really felt was the main thing that I wanted to bring. So I put a line through over 2,000 words, which, as you can imagine, was quite painful for me. <laughs> so this morning's message will be a bit shorter and maybe a bit more ragged around the edges, but I hope that we'll end up more focused on what I think that God wants us to look at. And we'll be left with more time at the end to respond. So I just slip that in so you're prepared. Nathan's already said. Um, we won't just be singing a song and breaking for coffee straight away afterwards. Um, so don't get too comfortable, but let's expect that God is going to move among us after we finish. All right, so I'm going to start by looking at what's going on this, in this passage and to see how that's relevant for us today. And then I'm going to use the excuse, as I say, um, given by the fact that we're at this central point, not to summarize the story as per the original plan, but to look back specifically at the actions and the role of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers and of the church. So the context of this passage is the return of Barnabas and Paul from their first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas return and report back to the church that the Gentiles were being saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. But some of the Jewish believers had a problem with this. They insisted this couldn't be possible unless first the Gentile believers were circumcised according to the law of Moses. And to understand the significance of this, we need to go right back to Abraham. When Abraham was 99 years old, God made a covenant with him. So that's like a binding agreement. And God said, if you walk faithfully with me, I will make you the father of many nations. And Abraham's descendants were also to walk faithfully with God. And the sign of this covenant was that the males were to be circumcised. And if they weren't, then they would be excluded from the blessing of the covenant. So this was a big deal. Circumcision was the outward sign of membership of God's covenant people. A people who would follow the commands of God and be blessed by him. And God kept his promise. Abraham had countless descendants, and they became a nation that would become known as the Jews, God's chosen people. The people through whom salvation would come. Now for Jews, this salvation came through obedience to the law and the sacrifices. And for Gentiles, salvation came by joining the Jews and by obeying the laws of Moses. So you can see the great importance of circumcision in the Old Testament. For the Jews, it identified them as the inheritors of God's promise of salvation and blessing. And for the Gentiles, it gave a means to become joint inheritors of that promise by becoming part of that chosen nation, the Jews. And so you can see in light of this why this discussion was so heated, because for countless generations, salvation had come to the Gentiles only by first becoming a Jew. But now, Paul and Saul and Barnabas, Peter, Saul and Barnabas, were claiming that the Gentiles could have no salvation. They could know no restored relationship with God without first becoming a Jew. And it's difficult for us to understand the magnitude of that change. What God was doing was unprecedented in Jewish history and experience. And for the first time since Abraham, God's salvation was breaking out from the Jewish nation and going to the whole world. And that was always God's plan. He always wanted a people drawn from every tribe and tongue and nation. And that's why Paul, writing to the Gentile believers in Ephesus, was able to write that you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So in Jesus, we, as Gentiles, have become inheritors of the covenant given to Abraham. Through Jesus, we have become part of God's chosen people. We live under God's blessing. Salvation for us doesn't come by first becoming Jews. And it does not come by us keeping the law. See, the reason that some of the Jews struggled with the conversion of the Gentiles is they had misunderstood the significance of the law. They believed that their right standing before God arose because of obedience to the law and the sacrifices that they made. But that was never actually the case. As Paul reminds us in the book of Romans, even before the law was given, even before Abraham was circumcised, God considered righteous those who trusted in him, those who had faith. Obedience to the law was an expression of that trust. And the sacrifices were effective only in as far as they pointed forwards to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. It was only ever through trusting God and specifically trusting that the sacrifice that he would provide would be sufficient, that anyone could be made right with God. Now Peter, Paul and the apostles, they had grasped this. That's why Peter said in his conclusion, We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. This is the good news that was preached. That because of God's gift of his son Jesus, and because of Jesus' willing sacrifice, people could be saved. It was God's gift, not man's work. Salvation was not something that could be earned through circumcision, good works, sacrifices, or anything else. All people. Jews and Gentiles alike would be saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Now, this controversy is echoed down through church history. And even today, there may be people here that are living under its influence. There may be some that believe that in order to make themselves acceptable to God, they must do better. They must live better lives. They must obey certain rules perhaps there are even some here that think they need to punish themselves for mistakes that they have made. That by doing some sort of penance, they can ease their guilt. And if any of that describes you this morning, and I want you to listen very carefully, because you're making a grave mistake. And far from being commended for your hard work and effort, you're actually making it impossible to receive God's forgiveness and acceptance. You see, we do need to start by recognising our separation from God. It's right that we recognise our guilt, but we must also understand that we cannot make ourselves acceptable to God by our own effort, however hard we try. There is nothing that we can do. Left to ourselves, the situation is helpless. But we have not been left to ourselves. God has made a way. We can be made acceptable to God, but the only way that this can happen is through faith in Jesus. The Bible tells us while we were still sinners, while we were still guilty, that Jesus loved us and died for us in our place on the cross. He's fully paid the price. We have simply to receive what he has done for us. It's all we can do, and it's all we must do. This is how we're made right with God. When we believe that the Father accepts the price that Jesus has paid on our behalf and we accept God's forgiveness through Jesus' work, then God regards us as having died with Christ on the cross. Then, um, and, the, and the resurrected life that Jesus now lives is what gives us life. We died with him and now we have been raised with him. And we stand righteous in God's sight not because we are clothed with any righteousness of our own, but because we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, a gracious gift that we receive by faith. Please, if you aren't sure that you've understood what I've just said, or if you feel still somehow that you need to do something to earn God's favour, or if you want to receive this gift of salvation today and know freedom from guilt, then please come and speak to me afterwards or one of the other leaders. This is so important and you really mustn't leave here today if you're in any doubt or confusion, we want to see you set free. And it's the truth that will set you free. You know, as we've been looking through Acts, we see a great emphasis on the truth being taught. If you read through Acts, you'll see a significant proportion of the book is devoted to summaries of sermons that were preached, all focusing on the work of Jesus. Eric reminded us recently that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. We need to meditate on the truths of the Bible. We need to have it ingrained in the very depths of our being that we are saved through faith in Jesus, that his perfect and completed work is sufficient for us, that we, as sons and daughters of God, are free from condemnation, that we were chosen by God before the foundation of the world to be holy and righteous, to be joined into his family, that we will see Jesus again when he returns, that we will spend eternity with him, These are glorious truths, and I love to speak about them. And I'm happy and I'm comfortable to do that. But, you know, truth on its own isn't the whole story. Christianity isn't just about an intellectual belief and acceptance of certain truths, vital though this is. It's also about a real, life-changing experience. And that's the other part of the story that I want to turn to now. So my rather loose link into this is, Uh, from our passages, Peter's clinching argument in verse 8, that God had given his Holy Spirit to the uncircumcised Gentiles, just as he had to the Jews. God had given his Holy Spirit to be with his people. And this is one of the central themes of the book. God acting in and through ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. God changing and empowering lives by the power of, of the Holy Spirit. If you cut out the supernatural elements from Acts, you'd be left with a very slim book, indeed. But here's the thing. God didn't take his Holy Spirit back at the end of the book of Acts. Now, as we look at the work of the Holy Spirit in Acts and consider its relevance to us today, I confess that I am moving out of my comfort zone. And the reason for that is this. While I believe it to be true that the enabling and empowering work of the Holy Spirit should be the experienced reality of every Christian believer today. I don't think that I experience this in as a greater measure as I believe the Bible leads me to expect that I could. As I read through Acts and I see what happened there, as I read through, for example, Corinthians, and I see what is written there, and I look at my life, I don't see the two matching And I find that disconnect difficult. The song we sing, um, there must be more than this. And that's my prayer. God, there must be more than this. But we've spoken a number of times through Acts. I've spoken a few times. And I feel I can't keep speaking on Acts and not look at the awesome interventions of God by his Holy Spirit. Because these interventions are such an integral part of the book. The book. So I want to look at some of these this morning, but I don't want them to just be seen by us as something of historical interest. I want each of us this morning to be stirred to a greater expectancy of what God can do here and now among us here at Beacon Church, Chertsey. So if we go back to the beginning of Acts, we see that God poured out his Holy Spirit on the gathered group of believers. Jesus had said in Acts 1.5, That as John baptized with water, so before many days, the believers would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the first thing I want us to consider here is that word baptized. See, it means to immerse. So if we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, we are immersed in the Holy Spirit. Not sprinkled, not touched. We are overwhelmed and saturated. I don't at all get the impression that this is something that could happen unnoticed. If you look through each time the Holy Spirit came, it was clearly something that was experienced. When the Holy Spirit came, things happened that could be seen, that could be heard, that could be felt. Now some of these things are external, so we read of loud sounds, rushing wind, rooms shaking, tongues of fire. Some internal, new languages, boldness, a new desire to worship. When the Holy Spirit came, things happened and lives were changed now how this baptism came well that varied from time to time sometimes people were baptized with the Holy Spirit immediately after they believed and that happened for example you might remember when Peter spoke to Cornelius and his household other times it happened much later sometimes God just poured out his Holy Spirit sort of spontaneously sometimes people prayed for others and then they received and it's the same today sometimes God baptizes people with his holy spirit without them even asking but not always often it's because somebody else has laid their hands on them and prayed for them so if you haven't experienced the baptism of the holy spirit um, yourself today first know this the promise is as much for you as it is for all believers but then don't just wait and hope that god might do this for you sometime in the future Why don't you ask somebody today, after the service, to pray with you? We're going to have that opportunity. It's a gift that God longs to give to you. So on this first occasion, Acts, when the Holy Spirit came, it was very dramatic. There was a sound like a rushing wind. There was what looked like tongues of fire that rested on everyone's head. It doesn't always happen like this, but however it happens, it has a tangible effect. And one of the effects on this first occasion was that everyone started to speak in Tongues. In this case, it was actual languages that those around could understand. And this is a gift that often um, accompanies the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, though perhaps not always. In this case, they say the tongues were actual human languages, but sometimes it's a heavenly language. Sometimes we use this language in prayer when we run out of words or don't know what else to pray. It's a way that our spirit can connect with the Spirit of God. Sometimes we use it in worship, sometimes spoken, sometimes sung it can allow us to express the feelings of our heart that are hard to verbalize. Paul taught that speaking in tongues edifies our soul and said that he desired we should all speak in tongues. And it's my observation that we don't use this gift very much, and I include myself, and I'm not sure why. Maybe we just got out of the habit. Maybe we just don't think about it much. But whatever the reason, I want to encourage us to think about using this gift more often. It's given for our edification and to glorify God. Speaking in other tongues is a gift that the Holy Spirit gives, and it's good for us to use it. But it isn't perhaps the most important um, outworking of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit came, the disciples would receive power, and they would be his witnesses. Paul writes to Timothy that God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of the spirit of power. So one of the ways we experience this power is in greater courage and boldness in witnessing And that's exactly what happens next. The disciples have been filled with the Holy Spirit and started speaking other languages. And then Peter gets up to preach. Now this is Peter, who had denied Jesus three times in the company of a few servants. Now he stands in front of thousands. And he boldly proclaims the gospel. And 3,000 people are saved. And that's a big theme of Acts. We see extraordinary boldness. The early church was birthed into a hostile environment. And we read story after story of imprisonments and threats, persecution, even martyrdom. But still the disciples kept on sharing the good news about Christ. They couldn't be kept down. And this wasn't a natural courage. This was the work of the Holy Spirit. Now we don't face the opposition the early church faced. But even so, wouldn't we like to be more bold and effective in our witness? Well, it's one of the primary things that the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. He's a spirit of power. So let's ask for more of the Holy Spirit and ask him to give us boldness. Moving on, we see frequent references to the Holy Spirit doing signs and wonders through the disciples. Now, there are lots of specific examples. You might remember the story of the healing of the lame beggar or of Aeneas who had been bedridden and paralyzed for eight years or Dorcas who would actually die. But in addition to these, in almost every chapter, we read the more general comment that many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And many came to faith because they saw what God had done. Pause there for a moment. The reason that people were saved as a consequence of seeing these signs is that the things that happened had no natural explanation. The people living 2,000 years ago knew just as well as us that dead people didn't come alive again, that paralyzed people didn't start walking. Paul said in one of his letters that he didn't preach wise words but demonstrated the Spirit's power. What we believe is vitally important. We've looked at that already. But God also wants to demonstrate his power. And in a world that has many competing truth claims or even people that question whether there is such a thing as truth, I believe the supernatural interventions of God will become an increasingly important part of our witness. The book of Acts is saturated with the supernatural interventions of God. But we have the same God today, the same Holy Spirit, and he still gives to some the gift of miracles, and to others the gift of healing. And praise God, we do see people healed from time to time. We do hear stories of God's miraculous interventions. But wouldn't we like to see more? I believe that we can. But I suspect we're unlikely to receive these gifts if we're just passive. Paul tells us to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, to pursue them, to ask God and to continue to ask him for them. Jesus said, ask and you will receive. Now we as earthly fathers like to give good gifts to our children. How much more will our heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So One of the reasons we're looking at Acts is to see what God did as the disciples partnered with the Holy Spirit and then to be encouraged to seek the same for ourselves as we also seek to partner with the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to set our sights too low. Let's look at Acts and say, why not here? Why not now? And then let's ask God for more. Looking back to Peter 7, Acts 2, we see that Joel prophesied, that in the last days God would pour out his Spirit and they would prophesy. And through Acts we don't see explicit examples of prophecy, but we do see a number of people referred to as being prophets and exercising that gift. We also see examples of what we might call gifts of wisdom, of knowledge and discernment, although they aren't referred to in those names. These are all gifts that the Holy Spirit still gives for the edification and building up of the church today. And some of these are gifts that I know that some of you have. And some of you exercise these. And I want, you to, I want to encourage you carry on. Others of you have been quiet for a while. I want to encourage you to stir up again the gifting that God has given you. We as a church need all the gifts that God has given us if we are to be healthy and to grow. These gifts are given for our blessing and so that we can be a blessing. So as we look at Acts, I want faith and expectancies to arise that the same Holy Spirit that was at work in the church there can work through us today. Peter, preaching at Pentecost, told the people that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call, and that includes us. God wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to receive the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives So let's eagerly desire and seek the Holy Spirit and these spiritual gifts in greater measure. And I don't just mean sometime in the future, but why not now? Now I'm moving even further out of my comfort zone. So why don't we ask him now, who is able to do so much more abundantly than what we ask or think, to give us more of his Holy Spirit, to give us more of his gifts. So I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask God to meet with us. And I'm going to invite you to respond. And those responses are going to be different and it may end up being a bit chaotic. But I think we can handle that. And we've got some time, so we don't need to rush. So let me first suggest what some of those responses might look like. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. You see, as I've already said, I don't feel that I experience the power of, of the Holy Spirit in the way that I believe God intends that we should. And if that comes as a shock or a disappointment to you, I'm sorry. That's how it is. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to keep asking and pursuing God until I do. I want to know more of God's presence and power and boldness and enabling. I want it for me, and I want the same for all of us as a body. So I'm going to go shortly over to my right here. And I'm going to ask that somebody comes and prays with me. Perhaps there are some of you that feel the same. As you read Acts and the New Testament, you get the sense that there's more to the Christian life than you currently experience. If that's you, come and join me afterwards. There'll be people that will pray with us. Perhaps you've experienced something of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, but you want more. You want a fresh anointing. So again, come over there and join us. But for others, you know the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. But you want the Holy Spirit to give you more gifts that you can use for the edification of the church. Maybe that's the gift of healing, or miracles, or wisdom, or prophecy, or tongues. Ask God this morning that he would give you those gifts. He's a good father, and he desires to give you good gifts. You're expressly encouraged to desire and seek after the gift. It's not something greedy. Uh, It's not to to want those things. God wants you to ask. Perhaps you could ask someone near you to pray for you. And then if God gives you something, come up and share it with the rest of us. Others of you know you have those gifts. And if that's you, I urge you to use them now. Stir them up. We need them. As we grow as a church, we need all that God has to give us. So if you have a prophecy, a word of knowledge, a tongue, please come out and bring it. You know, it's often the prophetic word or the insights given through a word of knowledge that can break open a situation. It's seeing someone healed or set free that encourages our faith and pray. So please, don't hold back. We want to see God at work among us. And if you're not sure, take a chance. We can cope with mistakes. You know, this morning isn't a time to be proud. If we want to know God's blessing we are going to take some risks. But remember too, the Holy Spirit gives boldness. So let's expect God to move this morning. And please join me in praying that he will. Lord Jesus, you said that you would do whatever we ask in your name so that the Father would be glorified. And you promised that you would send your Holy Spirit to all those who you would call so that you'll be with us and in us forever. So Jesus, please hear our prayer and pour out your blessing on us this morning. We ask that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit even today. We want to be overwhelmed with your presence. We want the power to be your witnesses. We earnestly desire all the gifts that are available to us through your Holy Spirit. Please give us faith. And raise our expectancy even now. Lord Jesus, we ask this in your name, for the glory of your Father. Amen.